This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. It was my birthday yesterday, which probably explains a lot, although I don't feel much older. I am 53, and you're supposed to respond, no, really, surely not, not 53. Cool. So what I thought was I was away, not, not Friday, Saturday, this Friday, Saturday, but the one previously, I, seven days ago, Friday, well, 24 hours plus, was actually about family, marriage and family on gospel mission. So I thought... I found this very helpful and interesting, so I'm hoping that you will too. I have not just taken the notes and photocopied of them, that's why I was up um, late. But I want to talk about uh, displaying Jesus as a family of disciples together on a mission. And if you're not a Christian, you probably think, disciples, mission, I'm not quite sure what it is. Hopefully, that will uh, come clear. But let's just um, start off by reading something from Jesus, always a good place to start. Uh, Matthew 12. If, I, if, you'd, if I'd said this, not Jesus, you'd think, this is a cult. You know, people worry, well, new church, in a school, are you really proper? You're not really a vicar, you know, whatever. But if I'd said this, you'd think, man, this is a cult. But Jesus says this, so let's, uh, <laughs> let's look at what he says and then pray. He says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd... His mother and brothers stood outside, wanted to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Lord, we just pray as we look at family and try and lift our heads from just the very narrow definition of family that we so often live with, but to a a broader understanding of how we can be your family, uh, living together, sharing lives together, uh, being followers of you, disciples of you, Lord, how we can reach out to other people outside of this family to draw them in so they they can experience the goodness of God that we've experienced. So Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to uh, be challenged and to be willing to reshape our understanding and lifestyles as a result of what's shared in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've said before that our society is fragmenting. More and more people are living alone. And actually less families are forming uh, because choice trumps commitment and uh, marriage and child raising feels like a big commitment so people don't really want to do that. And then those that do uh, make the jump to, to getting married, more and more of those uh, families are disintegrating into divorce. And then what we find is that our families, kind of, uh, if, if they exist, are really tightly nucleated around maybe 
a single parent or two parents and one or maybe two kids. And the whole idea of extended family gets stretched. So Kath uh, moved from Solihull to Cheltenham to be near her, her daughter. And, you know, we get stretched out across the country. People, we've, we've all probably, most of us have got family that live a long way away, not probably as far as Gustav. His family live in, some of his family live in Peru. But, you know, but we've all got family that, that stretch. We've economic reasons, geographical reasons separated from family. And so, so, um, so, so families got quite squashed in, quite narrowly drawn, tightly drawn. And then also what happens is we've got an aging population, a little bit of geography teaching for you, taught this in my level syllabus a few years back. We've got an aging population, which means more and more old, el- people are living longer and more and more pe- elderly people are living alone. And it's a huge challenge for our society. How are we going to do that? And the whole debate about how, who's going to pay and who's going to care. Now, some of that we obviously want to look to the, the state to help us out. And pe- sometimes people are in medical care, uh, in homes and medical care, because, you know, they're just their illnesses or their challenges means that we just couldn't care for them in our home. But actually, the traditional model was you cared for family, elder family in your home. It wasn't like you expected the state to pay for it or you pushed them off into a nursing home because it was kind of inconvenient for you. And the big challenge, obviously, my mum's uh, getting on a bit now, and um, we, we said, well, I'm saying to Nancy, would we be happy to have her live with us? And even though she's quite quirky, she didn't even send me a birthday card, <laughs> you know, whatever, she, um, he's saying, well, we want to do that. We'd like to do that. Now, thankfully, my sister's much more full of grace and she won the argument, so my mum my lives... Uh, across the road uh, from my sister. But well, there's a sense where we can't just wash our hands of family because we belong to families, isn't it? Uh, family is about who we are. It's, it defines who we are. That, that, but we can feel that family commitments are like a big pressure. We've already got lots of responsibilities, lots of commitments, and, and family can often add another layer of complexity onto our lives. Our lives are already complicated, and then we add family on top of that. So, you know, my, my, when we talk about my family, my family's got some great strengths, but they're also quite complicated. And that adds another uh, factor onto it. Or there's extra commitments, like, you know, looking after somebody who's older, looking after somebody who's sick, and that, and we feel that's an extra responsibility. Or, or even the, our kind of the whole relational dysfunctionality of, about families can make life more difficult. So we just, I, I just had a friend who's just hit this just incredibly horrible family situation where it was really no win and they just know it's just going to blow the family wide open if they do the right thing. And that's just all the sort of complexities of family are really difficult. So what, what can happen, and I can understand it, is that we can retreat or entrench ourselves in very tight families or even further than that, we think, no, I'm not even prepared to make the commitment to form a family. I'll just retreat or entrench myself in my singleness. And, but the truth is that actually our family shapes our identity. It shapes who we are. It can be, in many ways, the defining aspect of our lives. If we've had positive family experiences, it can be a really great springboard into life. And if we've had difficult or challenging uh, family situations, it can really, really damage us. And so they think, well, you know, with our biological families alone, that's enough challenge. But I just want to encourage you here that actually, if you're a Christian, you don't just belong to one family, you belong to two. 
So what we've got is we've got another layer of responsibility, another layer of relational dysfunctionality. If you've, never, if you've been in church and you've never been hurt, let down, disappointed by somebody else in church, you're probably not alive. You know, there's a whole levels of commitment and stuff, and you think, man, you know, we've got family and then God's family, and how do we work those two? And often we can see them in conflict with each other, and uh, I want to try and encourage us to see a fresh way. So yeah, the, the Bible says, you know, that we're all born of uh, uh, natural families, born of our parents, born into our own biological families, but we're also born into God's family. Children of our natural parents, but we're also adopted children of God. We have a father who we may get on with, or he may be still around. My dad's not around. I got on well with him. He's a great guy. Died when I was 17. And then I've got a father in heaven. I remember my mum praying when my dad died, will you be a father to them? Now, obviously, at 17, it was a strange concept, but actually, I just know that my father in heaven, that, that my relationship with him has actually feels much more strong, much more immediate than my father relationship with my father who died when I was 17 and obviously as you could do the math as you know I'm 53. In church we we can talk and encur- talk about ourselves as brothers. I know that uh, I often say to people don't call me brother because you know when we do that it's usually because you've got my name because some people call each other brother this or sister that but actually we want to be brothers and sisters. We want to understand that we're brothers and sisters and uh, that we belong to one another just as much as uh, biological families belong to another. So the thing about church these days is that we can see church like choosing a supermarket, but you know, you've changed supermarkets and you just do that. Change washing powders. We, we don't want to be consumers in our attitude to church. We want to be, as I talked about marriage, we want to be much more covenanted. We want to be much more like parents and children. We belong together. We're in it for the long haul. And the truth is that actually your natural biological relationships in eternity will disappear. But actually in heaven there's only going to be one family. It's not my family or your natural family, but God's family. That's the one family in heaven. And there's only going to be one marriage. And we heard Sean talk about that, the marriage between Jesus and his church. So marriage and family biologically are temporary. But this family the family of church, it is, is eternal. Now, we can tend to feel it the other way around. We can feel our relationship with church is quite disposable and our biological families are permanent. But actually, can, we need to understand that we belong to both families. So, belonging to two families can create tensions and choices. So, when Jesus says, who is my bro- mother, who are my brothers... Pointing point to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother, here are my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother or sister. That is really radical because who's standing outside? It's the Virgin Mary, isn't it? Not just some lady. You know, it's not like a lady who's been a bad mother. This is the one who, uh, who the angel Gabriel said, You are most highly favoured among women. She's standing outside saying, I want to talk to you. And he's saying, These are my brother and sisters. It's like my mom comes to the door who is not like the Virgin Mary, but, you know, still to be highly favoured. <laughs> you know, she comes to the door and I say, oh, you, go away, these are my brother and sisters. You know, you think, well, it's a cult, that's what the Moonies do, isn't it? Who make you abandon your family. You know, if you, the, these cults that make you don't speak to your natural family, abandon your natural family, makes Jesus sound like one of those, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus is, what he's saying 
is really outrageous. It's quite outrageous in our culture, but it's massively outrageous in his culture because if we feel we get our identity a little bit from our family, we also get it from our job and other things now, in first century Israel, that who your family was was everything. You got all your identity from your family. You, it was the most important thing about you. And Jesus says, that is not my identity. We talked about how identity is important in shaping your sexuality. Identity is massive when it comes to being um, uh, Jesus followers. So our identity, he, he's saying, no, I'm not related to that. This is, this is my family. In fact, he makes it really clear, doesn't he, that, that our human commitments to marriage and family are not to stand in the way of following him. Let me just time out. This is not, by the way, a sermon to get you to give more time to church. It's not where I'm going, okay? So if you're slightly feeling uneasy, that's not where I'm going. We're going to go to somewhere that's slightly more holistic and a bit joined up. Uh, but Jesus makes it really clear that we cannot let human commitments to marriage or family stand in the way of following him. We are not to put too much focus on marriage or natural family so that we don't live gospel lives for Jesus. Let me say that again. We cannot put too much focus on natural family or marriage that we don't live gospel lives for Jesus. So Jesus, here's Jesus. If you think Jesus was bad at challenging in that one that I read, what about this one? Slightly earlier in the gospel of Matthew... Jesus says, I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own family. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. How high is this bar? I couldn't say that, could I? You need to commit yourself to God first, before everything. He can ask you that question. But I can't. But, but actually, it sounds like he's saying that when the push comes to shove, when the choice is made, are you a follower of Jesus or are you shaped by your family? He says, every time you need to be uh, shaped by being a follower of Jesus. So I know sometimes when people want to get baptised, they say, my mum won't be happy. Or my dad won't be happy. Oh, I'm not sure about that. What would my family say? Part of the challenge is to say, no, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to be shaped by my natural family. And that can feel like a cult. But it's Jesus here, isn't it? Who's saying this. He's saying, actually, sometimes you're going to, it's going to set family against family. And actually, I know that in, in the 1041, and you become a Jesus follower, that is it. You're unfamilied. You're gone. Your history, they won't speak to you. They might treat you harshly, whatever. You're, you're gone. And sometimes we have to make that choice. And family always will want to pull us, pull us back. Sometimes we come from great families that encourage us to live gospel lives, but sometimes our family will pull us out. Even sometimes our marriages will pull us in a shape that we don't really want to go. But there is a balance. You think, hang on a minute, I don't like this sermon. Don't worry, there's a balance. Most of the time, we're not asked to choose between our commitment to Jesus and family. Sometimes they come together in the same space. So here's Paul in 1 Timothy 5. If a widow, that would be my mom, has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own and repaying their parents and grandparents because this is pleasing for God. Anyone who for their relatives and especially their own families denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, one minute, whoa, whoa, it's not family. Next minute, Paul's saying, you've got to support your family. So here's uh, Jesus again in Matthew 15. For God said, honour your father and mother. But if you say that if anyone declares what they may have, declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, and that they're not to honour their mother or father with it, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. What used to happen is people would say, this, I've given this, this here to God, so I can't use it to help my mom or dad. I've given this to God, I can't help my mom or dad. And Jesus says that's hypocrite. hypocrite. You can't do that. You're actually getting it all out of shape. That you're not to hide behind your commitment to Jesus to say I'm going to abandon my family. Because Paul says that's your religion in practice means you really do care for your family. Do you see what I'm saying? You're not to, so this is how it works. So if you're going to give something at the gift day in 14 days time, a week, a week, a week on Sunday, 17th of March, etc. If you're going to give something on that day, if you give... £10 on that day, or £100 on that day, then you cannot then say to mum, when you ring your mum, sorry mum, I can't send you a birthday card because I've just put all the money in the offering for the church. If your mum's starving to death in homeless, then actually you can't say, well I'm sorry, I've given all this, I can't honour you because I've given all the money to the church. So you can't hide behind religion or your faith in Jesus to not commit to biological family, but you cannot hide behind your commitment to family and not honour God. You need to do both. You need to do both. You need to get it right. So actually, you're not to say, well, I can't commit to church because I'm committed to my family. So what you've got to do is, sometimes some people, was like, like with, with, the, with the money, these Pharisees were saying they couldn't give the, help their mom or their dad, and then really what they're doing is actually not giving it to God, but they're just keeping it for themselves. And sometimes people can say, oh, family, family, family. And it's just an excuse not to really care for the family, but just to do what they want. And sometimes people are saying, church, 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 and not caring about your family, and it's just an excuse to not be loving and caring. So it's a difficult place to walk. It's quite nuanced. It's not so straightforward. We Jesus followers can so easily make the word ineffective because we hide behind spiritual principles to justify doing what we want. Jesus says this. One said, one came to him in Luke 9, says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts their hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom. We're never really going to get this done. We're never going to see the world reach for Jesus if we're always going back to say goodbye to our family. Please don't mishear me. But actually there's a priority. And sometimes when we get our priorities, we kind of work it like this. So uh, you can talk to your neighbour. If I, uh, if I said to you these three things, church has been used as a summary, but if I said God, marriage and family and church... Which order should they go in? Turn to your neighbour. Okay, who wants to play? It's you. Who wants to play? Go on, Paul. God first. Yeah, I like that. God first. We all agree first. We agree God first, don't we? Yeah. And then family. Do we, do we say family next? Who, who would say no, not family next? Who would say church next? I'm challenging to... I'm setting up a straw man to shoot you down later. Well done, Tara. You supported it. It's too easy. 
But what we can do is we can say, like, I think there's a, a Russian doll thing. We can get them in kind of, okay, me, marriage, family, and then we can kind of put them in some sort of order and we can say, well, okay, um, that, don't touch it yet, Andy. But, but we can kind of say that, okay, those are the important things and then church is like next. So it's almost like, well, it's God first. We kind of don't know what that looks like. It's kind of hazy. We love God first, but we don't quite know what it looks like. Family, yeah, we got that. I'm there, there for marriage, there for family. And then church, and then we'll, you know, church will be discipleship and mission and community and all that. And that, that gets down here, doesn't it? So reaching the lost people, that's down here. And that's how we feel. Not, not you. <laughs> that's how we feel. And, and, and sometimes when we're, we're forced to make choices, sometimes we, we, we think, right, okay, what's the order? So people say to me, oh, it's God, then family, then Jesus' church and mission. And I'm not saying, well, we should swap the order around. I'm just saying, actually, is that the best way to look at it? Because actually, think about this. If you're in a family, who's in a family? If you're living, you should be part of a family. Adam, put your hand up. Because when I'm, I'm still me when I'm married. Yeah? Oh. Hey. And I'm still me when I'm family. I'm not thinking when I'm in my mum. Now, I need to be the son. I know she treats me like I'm 15, but hey. You know, but I, I, I don't think, oh, I, she's my mum, and I, I better, I, you know, I'm, I'm with her. I better be son. And when I'm with my wife, I'm not thinking, now, I'm really me, and I better be, I better do marriage. So when we go out for our date night, I don't think, right, this is marriage time now. I mean, my wife might think I actually do this, but I don't think, right, this is marriage now. I need to be a good husband now. And then when the date night's over, I can sack it. I'm not really, I'm not really married at all. Yeah? Because actually one, that's why they're Russian dolls. You can flick the next one, Andy. That's what, they, they fit inside other. They fit inside each other. So inside this big Russian doll, there's me and marriage and family and they're all in there. And I'm, I'm at it all, I'm, I'm all those things all at once. You can say how. So it's not that you've got to put me in order. I'm all those things all at once. I'm, ma- I'm, I'm a son, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm me. I'm all those things all at once. They're not something I do, they're something I am. But when it comes to church and Jesus and the gospel, you can think of those things as not as something you are, as identities, bear with me, but something that you do. So, this is where we live, and I go out of my family to do mission. And then I retreat back in. We might do some leaflets at the lowest level. Or I might go out and do something like play football and then I'm back in here. And I go to church for an hour and then I'm back in here. And I go to my Bible or I go to my three or my, and I'm back in here. Do you see what I'm saying? There's something that you go and do. They're not, whereas this is marriage and family is something that you are, church has become Following Jesus has become, doing the Jesus stuff has become something that you do. Now, church is a lot to blame for that, because what we do is we set up church as a load of meetings. So if you've been to any kind of sizable church, some of you have, looking around, you know, you can fill your diary. Monday, sorry, Sunday morning you'll be there. They might have a Sunday night meeting, so you'll be there again. Then Monday they'd probably give you a day off, because that's the vicar, has his day off. And then Tuesday there's a group. 
There's a leadership meeting or there's some group on a Tuesday or there's something, a mum's thing during the day or whatever. Then Wednesday, you've got your small group and you go to that. Then Thursday, there's Alpha, so you go to that. Friday, there's youth group, so you go to that. Saturday, you're allowed to have a day off. And then Sunday, you're back at it again, aren't you? And so what happens is you can... Being, doing Jesus stuff... Uh, and living for Jesus has become something you do. It's something you go to. Something you step out of your marriage to do. So actually, what you can do is say, okay, right, what we need, because we've got all this doing, we need fewer meetings. And everyone goes, great, we need fewer meetings. Well, what, so that I can do me, family, uh, marriage, I'll squeeze in a bit of work and a bit of resting, bit of Sky Sports, oops, sorry, not going to say that, uh, you know, I'll squeeze those things in, and then we'll have less meetings in church, so we can all go, and don't you, all, you, you feel, well, there'll be less tension, wouldn't they? If we didn't do, have to do church at all, you'd think, man, it'd be quite easy, wouldn't it? I, when we were, before we started on Sunday mornings, I used to love it, I was like, no Sunday morning meeting, I just lay in bed, hang out, read the papers, love Jesus in a kind of vague, fuzzy kind of way, <laughs> you know, but of course I'm putting God first. And, and, and it, it can feel like that, can't it? Did you understand what I'm saying? Because you feel like, flipping heck, how am I going to fit all these things in my life? But actually, we need to see ourselves not as the Englishman's home, or the Englishman's marriage, or the Englishman's family is his castle. That's not the gospel. It's not that we live in those things and we go out to be Christians, and then we go back in here to sit on the sofas and eat nice food and hang out. Because I know what happens is you all say you're really busy, but if I were to video your lives, a lot of you actually sit at home just kind of bumming out. I know some of you are not, and you say, well, you don't know my life. Oh, if you knew my life, Oof. yeah? Because actually, because we're, we're ourselves at home. When we're doing family, we're ourselves at home. And we feel comfortable with that. So what happens is we feel like our, our, our church is too much of a pressure. But I think we're thinking, it's wrong thinking. Tim Chester in his book, The Gospel-Centered Family, says this. There should be a long quote here. When we view our marriage or family as separate from our gospel identities, this is what I've explained, we step out of marriage or family to do mission or community or discipleship. I go to my group, I go to my three, I go and meet with unbelievers, and then back into my marriage and family. Then he says, marriage or family becomes a retreat relationship unconnected with these identities. This means the marriage or the family defaults into some other organizing principle than the gospel of Jesus. The marriage or family becomes about spending time together, developing family relationships, or creating a place of rest or comfort rather than gospel-centered. Do you see what I'm saying? If you say, actually, my life's not first about Jesus and the gospel, it's first about family, then what happens is that family starts to shape all of your life. So, so our lives become about comfort, about rest, about building relationship with my wife or husband. None of those things are wrong. And it doesn't become about gospel-shaped. It doesn't become about, actually, I'm part of the, the bigger picture. I'm part of something wider. We default into just saying marriage is just about something else other than Jesus in the gospel. So rather than having them in a row, God first, well, we don't know kind of what it looks like, marriage and family, we're clear about that, and then all these other God stuff. What we need to do is we need to see them as one big kind of Russian doll. 
It's prob- it's pro- I'm going out of order now, Andy, so hey, you're going to just lose it, man. But one big Russian doll. The big Russian doll is God's family and God's story. That's what we all live in. That's the big Russian doll. Inside of that, there's mission and community and relationship and discipleship. Inside of that, there's marriage and family. Inside of that, there's you and your world. And if you inhabit all of those identities, you don't see them as complementary because you can be you and married and in the discipleship relationship and on mission and living for the gospel all at the same time. So actually we need to see ourselves in this one. We need to see ourselves in this big story. So the story of your life is not have you got a better sofa. And I know that you can, might feel I'm having a go at all of the different ones. You, you know, you've got a better house or you've got a better job or you're moving house. I know that's all of us. We do all those things. I've got a house. I've got a sofa. You know, I've got a TV. I'm not against those things. I've got a family. I've got a wife. I spend time with those people. I'm into it. But, but if I see that as my, that's my whole existence, then we're not really living God first lives. We have to broaden out and say, no, everything I live is Jesus in the gospel. Jesus in the gospel informs everything. So the big story of the Bible, the big story of the Bible is about family. So what did the very first family do? God creates Adam. It says it's not good for man to be on his own. He creates a family, creates a marriage. And they, there's a marriage that happens. What does that marriage decide to do? Anyone want to answer? Yeah, they do want to have sex, yeah. Obviously, is that the fullness of who they are, Andy? Mostly. This sermon is for you and your wife. Oh, anybody else? Yeah, they do have sex and they do live in the good earth, but what do they do with God? They say, they disobey, they say, actually, I've not got time for that priority. Oh, it's about me and my fulfilment in this marriage. The wife out, the man's already been passive, even before his sin, I was at work, but he's, the man's already not engaged, his wife's off, the, the serpent comes, the devil comes and says, do you fancy being self-autonomous? Do you fancy being self-reliant? Do you fancy deciding what's right and wrong without God? What do they say? Yeah, I fancy that. Gives it some to a husband, do you fancy that? Yeah, I fancy that. What happens to that relationship? It turns in. It turns in about itself. And immediately you've got marriage conflict, you've got the wife says, uh, the man, he says, why have you eaten this? Why have you declared unilateral declaration of independence? Nothing, to, I'm not having you, God. He said, well, the woman that you gave me, she, it's her fault. And then the, the woman says, well, that serpent, it's his fault. The one you made, it's his fault. And immediately you've got the whole thing turned in, you've got tension, you've got pressure, you've got whether you used to live in God's good earth, married and doing God's big mandate, which was have sex and fill the earth, Andy, yes. They turned in and said, It's not about it's not about you, God. I'm gonna find my identity and fulfillment without you. And subtly we can do that with our own marriages. So what does God do? What's his solution to the broken world of sin? Yeah, but before that, come on, roll back. Come on, we've played this before. He chooses Abraham, doesn't he? He chooses a guy, he chooses an Iraqi. He chooses an Iraqi and says, go and live in Palestine and be a Jew, which is interesting, <laughs> you know, as they hate each other. Chooses an Iraqi, 
gets an Iraqi's wife and says, I'm going to make you a new nation. He takes Abraham and Sarah and says, I'm going to make a new family. The family can't have anything. It needs to rely on God to have a kid. It can't be turned in and self-sufficient. It needs to have God. And God makes that family and says, from that family I'm going to what? I'm going to bless every nation on the earth. It's not saying I'm here to bless you. Your God stuff fits inside my little life, my marriage. God's just a little kind of Russian doll right in the middle there. So no, your life is going to bless every nation. That nation grows to be big and then David comes, King David, the uh, second king, of the, and, and God says to him, I'm going to give you a son who's going to rule and bless every nation. Now we're at, who is the seed of Abraham, the son of David? Thank you. Jesus, right, we're there. So Jesus actually is come to create a new family. He doesn't do it biologically. He doesn't do it biologically. He does it spiritually. He creates a new family. And the promise to that new family is that as you find yourself in this new family, all the world is going to be blessed. Just like it was promised to Abraham, God's rule is going to come to all the world and it's going to be blessed. But we can easily default and say, no, I want to live in this Now, God does bless that, and we've got to commit to that, but actually we've got to live in the big gospel story. We've got to live in the good news. So when Jesus dies on the cross, he's pronouncing freedom from turned inness and saying, it's all about me and my comfort and my relationships and my time and my stuff, and saying, no, uh, all the things that are bad need to be driven out, and all the good things need to find their fulfillment in Jesus. Do you agree that that's the gospel story? Thank you, Andy does. Yes, that's the gospel story. And actually, marriage and family are not ends in themselves. So when you get married, it's a few weeks now, keep reminding me of the date. When you get married, that's not the end of the story. End of the story, that's Hollywood, isn't it? When you get married, you must find your big story in Jesus and the gospel. Thank you. And it doesn't mean going to more church meetings. It means understanding that all of your life is part of this big story called Jesus and the Gospel. Tim Chester, nearly done. Tim Chester asked six questions to say, are you really living for your own little marriage and family, or are you living for the big Gospel story? These are the questions. If your answer to these, any of these questions is yes, then you need to reshape your thinking. How do you know if you're living with your marriage or family turned in as an end in itself, rather than as members of God's big family under God's big Gospel story? One, do you see your marriage and families detached from living life with others as a community on a mission? If when push comes to shove, and your gospel community, and it's not a meeting, please don't let it be a meeting, but the group of God's people that you connect to, and you think, no, I'm just going to stay and be marriage and family. But you need to say, no, I'm part of a bigger family. And it's not about going to the meeting, but it's about having a mindset. If you say, actually, I see my marriage and family detached from that big thing, then actually you've got it out of shape. Is your marriage and family an excuse to withdraw from living life with others as a community on mission? If you go into your family and you put up the drawbridge and you say, this is my castle, you're not living as part of God's big story. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a date night and you shouldn't have time together and build your marriage and all that. You should do that. But you're not to say that's an end in itself. 
And in fact, I'm sorry, I can't live for you, Jesus. I can't do these other things like discipleship, Bible reading, raising my kids, being missional, all of those things, living in community. I can't do them because I'm completely consumed with my marriage and family. That is not how God wants you to do it. Is your, is your life divided into small God parts, I go to church on Sunday, and large parts that are no different from secular society, which is living for marriage and family and work and rest and comfort and everything else that we all so easily live for. Tim Chester asks this, have you set up your marriage and family as to function as gospel replacements? Do you find your identity in your marriage, in your family? You find your relational fulfillment in your wife or husband. Is that what we're supposed to do? Yes, but no, but. We're supposed to find our relational fulfillment in who? Sunday school answer, please. Jesus. That doesn't mean you hate your wife, but it means ultimately she's not going to be your saviour. Your husband is not going to be the one who's going to be all that you all for you. It's got to be Jesus. If you find your relational fulfilment in your marriage, then you're not living the big story. You're going to find some, but not all. It's an image. If you find your purpose in saying, I want the bigger house, the better place, the nicer job, the comfier life, the better holidays, the good school, whatever, and you're saying that's all of my identity, you're not living in the gospel story. If you find your rest outside of Jesus, here's a big one. We think, oh, I want to go back to my family to rest. But actually, ultimately, rest is found in Jesus. Jesus said, come and enter my rest. So you can be really busy and full of rest. You can do nothing and be full of anxiety because rest is not found in your sofa. It's found in Jesus. Five, does your marriage and family insulate you from hearing the loving gospel challenge of others in the church community? So if you can't ever say to somebody, this is how I see you, because you always hide behind your marriage and your family. You can't say that to me. That's for my wife to say. That's not actually the shape of the New Testament. That's not the shape of it. We're meant to be open to each other. The walls have got to come down. And here's the last one which I found really interesting. It says, does your marriage and fam- family, says uh, Tim Chester, act as a greenhouse for cultivating idols such as money, pride, laziness, lust, self-sufficient and empty ambition. What is, what's driving your marriage? What's driving your story? If the answer to any of these, we need to reshape our thinking. We mustn't see our marriage and family as something sealed off from Jesus, the gospel, mission, community, discipleship. These are strands that flow into our life. Let me explain with three paragraphs. All your life is discipleship. That means following Jesus. You're learning to be more like Jesus in all of your life. Yes, you learn to be like Jesus as you read the Bible and pray alone. But actually, when you're married, you're learning to be like Jesus because actually, who's your best discipler? Your husband or your wife. So you think, oh, I want to get married so I can have this lovely cuddles on my sofa and slip into the bedroom and have sex. And that is nice when it happens. <laughs> it does happen occasionally in my marriage. <laughs> And we try to, you know, whatever. None of your business. But actually, my wife is actually the, the best discipler. She's the one who knows when I'm faking. And when I'm not there. And when I'm spiritually disengaged. And when I'm grumpy. And when I'm moody. And when I, and you know, my, my spiritual poker hand, I've got a tell that says, really, I'm not living gospel life. She knows that. 
Not like I've devolved that to the three. Though they might know some of it. But she knows that. She's the discipler. Your, your husband, your wife's disciple. As a son or daughter, you're you, you to be discipled by your parents. Not sit at the back and play with each other's shoes. You're to be discipled by your parents. That, that's, dis, that's life. While you're clearing your room, cleaning your teeth, doing your homework, taking the dog for a walk or refusing to take the dog for a walk, that's all discipleship. When you're with friends in a G1 community, that's discipleship. When you open up your homes to people in hospitality, that's discipleship. When you give... When you give your money at a special offering, that's discipleship. When you tell the truth to each other, that's discipleship. When you help your neighbours, that's discipleship. When you're stuck in traffic and you're feeling grumpy, that's discipleship. All of your life is part of God's family. Your marriage is part of God's family. It's not a separate identity. This means you do not retreat from God's, from God's people to find uh, grace in something else. Or God's family is your family. So your fridge is whose fridge? Thank Yeah, Andy. My fridge, Andy, is your food. Yeah? My sofa is your relaxation. My house is your home. My car is your taxi. Your friends, my friends are your friends. My money can help you. Your money can help me. I'll just put a balance on that. <laughs> don't need to keep thing. Where's my money? Give me your money. You don't ask us. You ask with wrong motives. You may spend it on yourself, says James. My kids, get this, are your kids. Yes, please. Please take them. So you can tell my kids off. And you can love them. And you can do all those things because my kids are your kids and your kids are my kids. The only thing that's mine that you can't have is Naomi. But everything else, if I live under the gospel, it's not mine in my little castle, in my little Russian doll. No, it's all part of the gospel. We're family together. It's not a cult. It's gospel. All the believers had everything in common. They shared with one another their needs. They moved from house to house, met together. Not on a Sunday morning in a religious building, but in each other's homes. They break, broke bread together. My food's your food. With glad and sincere hearts. Not off. Nearly done. All your life is mission. Your marriage displays Jesus. Your marriage is a mission. People look at your marriage and think, what's your marriage like? What does it tell me about Jesus and the gospel? If you don't think they're asking that question, read the Bible. They are. Your marriage is to, ter- is to not be turned in, but self-giving love to a self- selfish world. You to give. You show that as you love your wife, you show what it's like to love the world. Your family, your church family, images God to a, a people that are lonely or unfamilied. Your gospel lives lived together change lives. Your fridge, their food. Some believers. Your sofa, their relaxation. Your house, their home. Your car, their taxi. Your friends, their friends. Your money, their gift. Your life, their life. Why? Because you want your saviour to be their saviour. Your God to be their God. They all run through all the time. 
It's not that we go and do mission. We are on mission all the time. We're on discipleship all the time. We're on family all the time. They sit together. Part of the big picture. I'm going to give you three, uh, some practical ones you can do. So this is what you should do. Some practical ideas. I'm done with these. I'm just going to read them. Just put them up and I'll read them. Include the people from the church family in your family time. Draw bridges down. Share life. Involve your children in hospitality. Hospitality is not an act of entertainment. It's not a show, a performance. It's called just come and eat with me. Just come and share my life with me. Don't think of your family as self-contained or self-sufficient. You need people who are going to tell you how you're getting on. If you're just getting married, you need people who are further on. You need to share life. You need to talk about it. You need to see life live together. You need to, that's how you learn the gospel, not just from Bible studies. You need the wider church family. I think we're going on. You need the wider church family for advice and encouragement and gospel challenge. You need to say, you know, I've just observed. This is what you like. Older Christians to tell you how to live, encourage you. You need to provide support for other families in your church family. So you can't be the father or the husband for the single mom and their kids, but you can, you can show her love and grace so that it feels just the same. If you've got space, have someone live with you. Let them be part of your family. Ah, we should be in and out of each other's families. That's what the gospel is. It's not that we put the drawbridge up and say, well, it's, this is me and my time. No, we've got to live for Jesus. People can come in. We've had people, and we, haven't, uh, we thought even talked about it last night, actually, whether we should have somebody live with us. Um, but in Manchester, we've, we always had people live with us. All the time, people live with us. So they could see how we lived. With people who are vulnerable, people who just needed a place. People, If you've got space, have people live with you. Because it's not about sharing just your life occasionally on a Sunday. But no, have people live with you. It's a real opportunity to learn. Andy's lived with us for a little bit. So he's obviously got challenges and problems as a result. So Stan. In fact, in Manchester, it was like half the church had lived with us at some time or other. And they knew what we were like. And they knew that actually that living, just living, doing the dishes, sharing life, that was discipleship, that was gospel, that was a mission. Encourage your children to build relationships with adult believers you trust. The best disciples of my kids right now are not going to be me, I'm afraid, although I'm working on it. If you're like 20 and you love, love Jesus and you're passionate for Jesus, you're going to impact them. If your kids are young, my kids, if they're living for Jesus, will make a difference. We can live and disciple each other. People always say, I need a program for my kids. I need a youth group, or I need a kids' work, or I need a club. No, family can be the start. And then lastly, share your life with people. Basically, the bottom line of our mission is we, our families and our marriages are missional. It says, live such good lives, and I think it's Peter, live such good lives among the unbelievers that they see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We've got to break the walls down. We've got to live our lives as gospel lives. We've got to see ourselves in the big Russian doll of God's mission. If you've retreated into the Russian doll of just you and your family, you, you, your family will never ever fulfill you. It will never ever become the shape. You'll just keep fighting for more and more time together. More and more comfort together. More and more holidays together. More and more together. And it's not that any of those things are bad, but actually, unless you find yourself in the big picture of the gospel, you'll always feel you're under pressure, under tension. We've got to see them as sitting together. 
And the way to do that is to break down the wall. So that when Jesus says, love your family, you can do that just as naturally as say, put God first, because actually they're the same thing. It's not, oh, I can't be committed to the church because I'm loving my family. No. You, as you, you, you draw your family into the church and they'll be loved better. Lord, we don't want programs in this church that help us to get better at being with people who aren't Christians. We don't want programs in this church that help us to study the Bible in isolation. We don't want programs in this church called come and come to my house and we'll do some discipleship. Lord, we want to share life on life on mission. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live under this big picture that actually our family lives and our lives are part of the way to you're going to transform the world. We're part of your world-changing family. Lord, I pray, help us to understand that church isn't some bolt-on, some side thing, but no, the community of the church is where we find our full and true identity as we find ourselves in you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't say it's family and then church, but we'd see them as together. No, church is family, both biological and spiritual. Lord, so I pray help us. I pray help this church family to be a place where the lonely, the lost, the least and the broken can find not a program to feed them, but a sofa to sit on, a a table to eat with, a a life to be shared, a people that care. Lord, I pray we would, that the unfamily that around here in Cheltenham would find family. I pray even people where everything seems that they've in a row, but they find no fulfillment in just the empty chasing after another gospel in family. Lord, I pray they'd find a big gospel. Lord, I even pray for people I know, Lord, that busy, 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 but yet never happy. I pray, Lord, that we'd find our fulfillment, our shape in you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be uh, gospel people, living the big picture of the gospel on mission. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.